What's going on, ladies and gentlemen, sinks and inks, and welcome to Lactic Acid. I'm your host, Dominic Smith. Happy Global Running Day to everybody. I appreciate everybody staying tuned to our Global Running Day series, being able to check it out, listen to some of the inspirational episodes that we've recorded so far. This is the third episode of our four-part series with the grand finale taking place tomorrow on the actual day, June 7th, Global Running Day. And it's a very special episode today, tomorrow, and there's a special project that Anderson Emerald and I are working on and you do not want to miss that so please be sure to tune into our social media platforms we have it underneath um, in the show notes so lactic acid podcast on Instagram final leg the final leg rather on Instagram as well um, as our YouTube pages lactic acid with Dominic Smith and the final leg as well where Anderson is the host founder CEO baller do everything man of that page and guess what he and my friend dr hannah borenstein i love saying dr hannah borenstein because she is legit she and anderson were my guests today and we had a great insightful conversation a deep conversation on the things of running and how it impacts the culture how it impacts our work and how they have impacted the sport with their knowledge and just some of the deeper things that they have been able to write about, been able to cover. They offer such great perspective. They're the greatest people you'll ever meet. And I am so excited for you guys to listen to this episode. You know, we had to talk about Nickelodeon and Cartoon Network. So we did have a little debate on that. We talked about some 90s hip hop and we talked just about how that all ties into the sport. And so you get a chance to get to know us a little bit more, but you also get a chance to learn about the sport from a different perspective from our various experiences, especially Anderson and Hannah. They're well-versed, they're well-traveled to listen. This is one that you do not want to miss and I know you're going to enjoy. It definitely brings a great perspective and it puts things in a proper perspective and a unique truth about Global Running Day. And I'm so excited for you all to listen to that episode. So please be sure to follow them on their platforms as well. Hannah's got some great things going on as well as Anderson. I know their channels are going to be elevating soon and very soon, especially as we get into the summer months and the running and the athletics is just kicking off with the championship so please be sure to follow them we'll have their information in the show notes so please be sure to stay tuned to that listen thank you all for listening please be sure to listen to the previous two if you haven't stay tuned for the last one tomorrow shout out to the great people at track barn they partner with us on this show and guess what if you type in lactic acid 10 you're going to get 10 percent off your order lactic acid 10 if you like what you're hearing Please go ahead, leave a nice review, whether you're listening on Spotify, Google Podcast, Apple, whatever. Leave a review, hit those stars, whatever you feel is appropriate. It helps the channel grow, helps more people find the channel. And I appreciate each and every one of you. Happy Global Running Day to you. Love, peace, and chicken grease. Hope you enjoyed the episode. What's 
going on, ladies and gentlemen? Sinks and Inks, or as the late great Bernie Mac says, what's up, you squares? And welcome to Lactic Acid. I'm your host, Dominic Smith. This episode is a part of our running day series, our global running day series. Rather, it's a project that myself and the brother to your left, or at least my left on the screen, Anderson Emerald, is putting together series of episodes and a pretty cool project that we're working on. So please stay tuned for that. Today, I have two certifiable ballers, shot callers, literally doing incredible things. They have such impact like 90s hip hop on the east side. You already know what it is. And guess what? They are my guests today. They need no introduction, but I got to give them one. Anderson Emerald, as I just said, and I'm so excited to say this, Dr. Hannah Borenstein the first. How are you guys doing? Doctor? Doctor. I'm doing good. And I I am the first. The first. <laughs> um, so. no, I'm doing great. I'm so happy to be back on the show and with both of you. It's just like dream collab. So yeah, I'm doing well. Yes. And so I just gotta say, Todd, if you're watching this, go ahead and sponsor <laughs> all of us. We we need you. We use those pods <laughs> like I eat chicken. That's all the time. Let's so let's go. Let's go. All right. So Y'all know, listen, you know what it is with the introduction, so you're not going to escape that. So let's just say one day, Hannah, you're teaching a class, Anderson, you're covering a meet. So in that class walks in Ben and Jerry, and at the meet walks in the executive of Food Network. And they say, yo, these these people are different. Anderson is elevating at a different level. He has like this black thought kind of vibe to him. And it is just something that we need. And Hannah, they're like, listen, this is the first, the only, the legendary Dr. Hannah Borenstein, who I just learned from Chicago's best. She's deeper than the deep dish pizza that the city consumes. And so they decided they want to do a custom promotion based on the awesomeness of the two of you. So here's what's going to go down. Food Network is saying they're going to send out a chef to cook any freaking meal that you want, any meal, any meal just made for you. So you have to tell them what meal that you want. Ben and Jerry said, listen, actually, you know what? Scratch that. Frito-Lay and all their cousins, Cape Cod, all of those friends like that, they're going to make a custom potato chip just for you guys. Just for you guys. You got to tell them what you want, the two flavors or the flavor that you want. They're going to put it together. Last question. There was a show in the 90s, and Hannah, I told you you inspired this, called The Wild Thornberries. I watch it every night. And so Eliza Thornberry, the main character, had the power to talk to animals. And so you guys are going to have that same power. So you guys get to choose the animal that you would like to talk to. So the meal, the chip flavor, and the animal that you would like to communicate with. Hmm. I can I can jump in if you unless you have something, Hannah. Are are we combining? Like are we trying to fit work this out together? Is that the I it's really up to you. If you <laughs> want to do individually, you can. Be, it's, I mean, I asked both of you. So both I have an you, idea for the meal for sure. Okay. 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 Ju just jump whenever. So it's three separate things for three uh, for the. But both Anderson and I are combining like our ideas, but we're we're trying to we're collaborating. If you guys want to, let's <laughs> let's let's do it. Let's do it. I, I want okay. to hear this idea. Well, but do you like fish? I do. I do. Okay, what kind of fish do you like? 
um i mean everything salmon yeah i mean everything so i was thinking like combining our interests in like nigeria and ethiopia we do like a jollof rice um anderson man came on the show (laughs) and put me on that (laughs) yeah after you were on the show too i was listening to black thought like all um all week and then we do like this this fish i make salmon but with burberry which is like the spice that i bring back from ethiopia um and then i don't know i guess we put something green on the plate to like make it look pretty something like that that was my idea I love it. That like yes, that is that sounds perfect. I want As that soon, right yeah. now. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> like right now, done. Meal set. Ooh. Okay. Well, in the words of Black Thought, I shall, we shall proceed and continue to the next one. So let's go. What are we doing about this potato chip? And and I just need a plate. I I, I know I may have to get on the plane, but somebody make me a plate. Uh, because that that's, that just sounds... I had some of that rice like a week or two after. I was like, you know, I'm thinking this tomato rice, this that Jollof thing. I like that. I was like, I can dig it. All right, so what are we doing about this potato chip? Oh, man. I don't know. It, I mean, we could still get creative with this. Um, I need to throw... I don't, I don't know if they're Frito-Lay, but what, not a chip, white cheddar popcorn. I need to throw that in there. I am obsessed with white cheddar popcorn. So if there's like some bag, I don't know, Hannah, you want to throw something in there and we mix it up. I don't know what goes well with white cheddar popcorn, but I need to throw that in there. No, I'm obsessed with white cheddar popcorn also. So I'm down. I, I remember hearing that on the podcast when you were on too. And I, was like, I asked I you that. Reason we're friends. Yeah, it got brought up at some point. I don't know if, I don't know if you asked him that. But was, I remember yeah, conversation. Okay, so what about an ice cream? What would be an ice cream? Hmm. Like we're making our own flavor. Yeah. So you pick one, he picks one, put it together. Mm. I'm a big fan of like um, salty things and like sweet things. Like I like like pretzels and chocolate kind of combination type type things okay. or like pretzels and like um, like Reese's, like peanut butter, but mm. I'm flexible. I'm not a huge ice cream person, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah, I don't, I don't, I haven't eaten ice cream in a while either, but like, some chocolate, salted caramel, maybe something like that. I don't know. That can work, right? Yeah, yeah. Pretzel pieces in there, like yeah, we can make that work. Definitely. <laughs> Clearly, like similar enough palettes that it's going to be fine no matter what. Yeah. <laughs> I would not eat that. I would choke. Like, listen, that pretzel is getting stuck in in here in the esophagus, and I mean, guess it is canceled. You gotta like. It's tough with pretzels because I feel like they if they're not in like mixing correctly they definitely get soggy or if they're not like added on top but if you get like the right crunch it's nice i just like pretzels i think is what i'm coming to that's too hard. <laughs> what's that <laughs> what's that pretzel company what is it like the rolling or rolls or what is it there's snyder's and utz are like two of the big ones mm-hmm. um, whoever has the pretzels in that golden container sponsor this show so, oh the golds yeah yeah, yeah. the golds what am i what am i calling i think the that's rolls? what they're called yeah, they're called the goals. I'm talking about the rolls. Not uh, sure if they're a subsidiary of like Snyder's or not. Probably, it could but be. yeah, I don't know. All right, what animal? So I'll let you. T- I don't. If you guys can come up with an animal, sure. Um, I don't know if you want to make an animal up, like a liger or something like that, or you have your own separate animals. That's totally fine. Um, but I'm curious to hear the animal. I mean, I I gotta go with dogs. Only, I mean, I like dogs and like. 
I just feel like the way that dogs, I mean, dogs are obviously domesticated and I really feel like they're very, very human-like. I'm super convinced that dogs actually talk in our languages, like in English and Spanish, like I'm convinced. So I would love to talk to dogs. Yeah. Same. I, yeah, I mean, dogs are hella smart too. Um, yeah, no, totally. Once I was in Ethiopia and I was living at this house and we had this like kind of, it's kind of like a guard dog there. They're, they're not usually domesticated. There's a lot of strays, but she like went out and we couldn't find her. And so me and my ex at the time, like had to go find her really late at night though, at like two in the morning in the neighborhood or something. And we went out and there was this like pack of dogs all like running around. And I was like, I was, I, I was like, I can envision like an animated film based on these dogs where they're all like, they're all, everyone, the city goes to sleep and then they go out and they like are partying and they're doing their own thing. They're like gambling down the street. They were having a good time. <laughs> so I completely agree with you. I think they're like super smart. Oh my gosh. Okay. I still maintain an elephant. Um, dogs can learn our language though, and we cannot learn theirs. So they have some power. I feel like dogs would be dogs are the safe answer because I was thinking like I feel like a cat would really hurt your feelings if you if you had the ability to talk to cats specifically these house cats uh, not as much to lions and stuff but these sassy house cats like that's over um, I don't know I still like elephants um, they're just such full of wisdom they're like nurturing and you don't have to worry about them like forgetting your birthday or anything like that because they have excellent memories. Yeah. Um, so I'm with it. Like this is, I have this '90s hip hop vibe. This is like I don't know. This episode is like a. I think I said it on another show. I get like this Hoka Bondi vibe in this episode, and I'm just all for that. I'm all for that. So, all right. Any if if no one knows anything about Anderson and Hannah, just understand that they have helped. And played a huge role in revolutionizing how track and field is covered because they have brought a different light and a different perspective to track and field. Anderson is Nigerian roots, working with the Nigerian media, but also keeping the track and field Black history alive by telling these stories of people who might have been forgotten and talking about their impact that they've had on the sport. Hannah. I have learned so much about just Ethiopia, just not even the athletes, but just Ethiopia in general, um, which is kind of crazy because it kind of, I go back to when I was in school, uh, we weren't really taught. We just taught that Africa is over there um, and these are the countries there, but you have brought it to such a level where you actually can empathize and sympathize and understand the culture, understand where they're coming from understand the struggle so you guys have really done that for the sport of track and field i guess my first question especially you know with this being centered around global running day have you guys ever reflected on the amazing things that you have done but also your passion for what you do and what you've done for the culture of track and field hannah mm. you go first and we'll get you anderson <laughs> that's a big question um <laughs> i mean i wouldn't say i've like done all that much i think the when I have noticed like some kind of an impact is actually it's actually like when I'm looking up something on an athlete and I go to their Wikipedia page and I see that something about them is cited and then I notice that it's my article that the somehow the person cited and I think that's really cool because 
Um, then it's like made its way away from me and just kind of like into the public domain where people can find out something that's actually truthful um, when it's correct. Sometimes it's obviously wrong and I didn't write those articles. But when it's something like that, that means a lot to me because that's kind of what I saw myself doing. So like I didn't go to Ethiopia with the intent of like writing articles about athletes. I was just doing research and I realized that like nothing was known about these top athletes. So I've tried to like do that. I think there's a lot more work to be done. Um, and I think I could do a lot better of a job, but I think that's been like a cool moment for me. It's what I'm excited. I have to say that that is legit. But also if you have a Wikipedia or you are somewhere affiliated on Wikipedia, you have made it. That is bigger than a blue check mark that you don't have to pay for on um, these social media apps now. But from my perspective, like, you gave me a history lesson when you came on the show when we were talking about we were breaking down the marathoners and how the Ethiopians were going to do. I didn't know. I couldn't pronounce the name. But when they mispronounce names, you better dot check Twitter because you're on there checking people about getting names right. But you definitely explain the origins of the names and how it comes about. And so, you know, when I kind of talk about impact, it's just those little things that show signs of respect. Because, you know, in certain cultures, your name carries so much value. It carries so much weight. So it's just, you know, the little things of making sure you get a person's name right, making sure you defend the person against the people when they don't get the names right, or being able to write these stories that provide an insight of a culture that we don't understand. Um, that's what I'm referring to in all the great things you've done. Anderson, your turn. I mean, I mean, similarly, I I do not even think I've done <laughs> that much. Y'all too, um, y'all too humble. Come on now, just flex, <laughs> just a little bit. No, no. I I mean, I I really think it's cool when um I may just like even if it's something simple where like I put a post up or I put something in a story and like the actual athlete you know who may be from uh you know from you know competed years ago whether that's the seventies or the eighties like they reach out to me somehow, whether that's through Instagram or through like email or something like that, they reach out um, and they, you know, kind of just acknowledge like, oh, this is, that's cool that like you acknowledge me and stuff like that. Um, what I really find cool though, is when someone like provides even more context. So like, if I like put some story out or put something out, that's, you know, a little bit lesser known and like someone else reaches out saying, oh, actually there's this other part of the story. Right. So kind of, Build, you know, allow me to build upon the story and allowing, you know, me or others to be able to share even more about, you know, these, uh, these kind of stories that that's what I really feel is super, super cool, you know, with uh, some of the things I've done. So, yeah, yeah. Has it, for the both of you, has it kind of changed your perspective? This is a two part question. So this is part one. Has it changed your overall perspective on running? whether you're watching or you're competing or you just do it recreationally? Um, I, I don't know. For me, I think it's changed a little bit, especially like, at least for me, like, you know, growing up, you know, I was, I was always running growing up. I never like understood track and field until I was like in like high school, going into college and stuff like that. Um, but at least on my end, like looking into the history and just like understanding especially one like access to running throughout history where, you know, so many people didn't have access to just basic, you know, opportunities to run, whether that be competing or even just like access to running in their neighborhoods and things like that. Right. That's kind of giving me perspective and appreciation for, you know, what people, what, you know, 
people are able to do today, what opportunities I have today. Um, that's been a big, big thing. So yeah, that's probably been the biggest thing, at least in terms of my, my end and reflection. What about you, Hannah? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, just building off of that, I think, um, you know, like for example, Ethiopia, like, I mean, Haile Selassie was trying to get them into the Olympics in the 1920s and they were denied entry. Um, and, uh, you know, like just to Anderson's point of like how, how there's a lot of like pretty terrible, like racism in the history of our sport. Um, which is why we haven't seen these athletes like compete until the 1960s for the most part across the board and like colonization, obviously. But, um, even when Ethiopia, which was independent, like they formed their own Olympic committee in 1948, they didn't get recognized till 1954. So, I only like so, sort of say these dates because um, I don't know. Like, I, I think that the history here is really important, especially when you're talking about these like um, African or like quote unquote global South countries. Um, Cause there's also, I, I, as much as like Anderson and I, for example, are trying to tell these stories, I think it's also important for us to reckon with the fact that there's like a reason that they haven't been told or, um, and there's a reason why they're quote unquote sometimes behind in like storytelling capacity. And a lot of that has to do with like exclusion. And so I think both through like learning some of the history and myself and like archives and whatnot, but also like talking to athletes, um, it's that, that definitely becomes clear. So yeah, I mean, like, it's totally changed my perspective on running. I, I wasn't someone that like grew up in the sport. Um, so I kind of came to it a little bit later on, at least the professional level with like pretty fresh eyes, which I think, you know, probably has some, some pros and cons. Um, but, but yeah, I think, um, I, I never like expected that running was going to be as big a part of my life either. <laughs> so that's been pretty cool. Yeah. I'll just, quick, I'll just quickly add on, like, I think that's also a big deal with, um, you know, in the, you know, late 50s, 60s, 70s, et cetera, like with decolonization, where, you know, you had all these, you know, sub-Saharan African countries getting the opportunity to, you know, be well represented on the global stage. Um, and then, you know, gradually saw so much dominance from these various countries. I think it just shows that, like, the the talent, the, you know, all of that was there. It's just that opportunity was never presented to these different athletes uh, for various reasons. And, you know, I think that's like super important kind of even thinking today, like there's a lot of talent, there's a lot of like, you know, you know, underrepresented, um, you know, athletes or whoever may be currently still, but if they're not given the opportunity, um, you know, then we're never going to see them. They're never going to be able to, you know, really display their talents and things like that. So, yeah. yeah. Do you feel like, and I asked this question before I asked the part two, but it kind of feels like when it comes to history, I feel like there's, I live here in Florida and there's very controversial opinions um, about how things are handled. This is not a political show, so untie your butt. We're not going into it. Um, but do you feel like in a sense, when it comes to track and field, especially a sport, that kind of gets in its own way every 24 hours. Do you feel like it is kind of done on purpose to kind of suppress the history and the historical events that have happened? Because it kind of feels like maybe if we unload and really expose, you know, everything that has happened as much as the sport has overcome, it could potentially bring a bigger black eye, especially when it comes to, you know, maybe Ethiopian runners, when it comes to, 
you know, just some of the things, you know, that the different countries have had to face over the years. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't know if it's like intentional, but I think it's like, it's institutional and it's structural. And so, you know, like the founder of the Olympic games was like a white supremacist and track and field in particular was built in a system that like, was meant to basically uphold an aristocracy. Um, and that's why like amateurism persisted so, so far. So I don't think that like people in charge right now view themselves as like a part of that lineage, but they are. I think the problem um, sometimes is that it's people in power basically never just give up their power um, in part because they believe in what they're doing. So these, nebulous actors that we obviously are not going to name, let's say, um, who might be, you know, what as we view it, maybe like making the sport seem backwards, like, you know, not letting athletes like wear, have as many sponsors as they want, even though it's like a quote unquote free market or whatever. Um, they view themselves as protecting something. Uh, whereas I think many of the athletes and a lot of like the younger media folks view it as like hampering the sports development. Um, but I just, I, I want to hear what Anderson has to say about this, but I will say what's interesting in covering like Nigerian or Ethiopian athletes, like on social media, when you, you start to tell these stories, then like, like he said, you know, you have someone like chime in and give you more context. I feel like what I'm learning from both of our storytelling is that we're, there is like actually a huge untapped network. I mean, a lot of the people that read my stories are actually not even, like a lot of them are Ethiopian diaspora, like they're living in the US or Europe too. And they're like engaging with me. And, um, you know, sometimes they have very strong opinions about, about what I have to say, which is fine. But I think like, so at the same time that we're seeing like a lot of opportunities for, for growth in what we're doing, um, new quote unquote markets to, to like be tapped into. Yeah. Yeah. Completely agree. And like, even just on that last point, like, at least in Nigeria specifically, like track and field is pretty, pretty big, but it's not like as big, not, not as big as it could be and not as big as it used to be as well. Um, so even like a lot of the, um, you know, a lot of the media coverage and a lot of the things in Nigeria specifically, there's like an untapped market within Nigeria itself um, to expose, <clears throat> expose the sport to so many more athletes. But yeah, I definitely hear that the diaspora point where there's Again, especially when you're talking about countries like in Nigeria, Ethiopia, there's so many people in the diaspora who are just not even familiar with, you know, they may know that they're from the country, their parents are from there, et cetera, et cetera. But like, they are not familiar with like what happens in the country, whether that be, you know, track and field, athletics, political, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so yeah, being able to, you know, share the stories and like tap into that is like huge. Um, I did forget your original question, Don. <laughs> You like low key answered it. Um, yeah, it's true. I actually just a quick story. I just I just tweeted something because I noticed that Safan Hassan wasn't wearing a watch at the London Marathon, yeah. and I tweeted something, and like a bunch of people retweeted it. But one of the guys that did is Ethiopian, and then someone that I don't know who he is, but the whole conversation was in Amharic. But this like guy in Amharic wrote on Twitter, um, "Why like do athletes wear watches anyway?" And then the Ethiopian reporter who I'm friends with who retweeted was like, so they can keep track of their pace. But it was like Anderson said, it's like there, there are like a lot of people, too, who are, um, 
you know, they, they don't, maybe they know that Ethiopia is like they're Ethiopian and they know that they have great runners, but they don't actually know how the sport works. So it's so cool to just be able to like interact online also with people, both in Ethiopia and the diaspora, like these journalists who are at other competitions and like be able to, you know, make these like small educational points, which um, in terms of shooting ourselves in the foot sometimes, you know, I think also we have to, um, be a little bit patient with some of the basic understanding or like basic explanation that we have to just repeat at like every competition if we're going to make it like a welcoming space for new spectators. You said something interesting, Hannah. Um, you said that it may not be intentional that information is being withheld, but systemic. So this is the question for both of you. If it has reached the point where it is systemic, isn't that based on it being intentional? Meaning, if you want something to work a certain way, if you want a specific culture, we, we talk about it in sports all the time. You hear all this crap about the culture. I guess it's not crap, but all this stuff about, you know, coaches have to come in and we have to instill a culture to where it's just in our DNA. It's what we do is how we operate. And so I guess that's my question. If that is the case, even though there may be new bosses in charge, there may be a new head at the table, is it still intentional? Because maybe there's a fear from the top that, okay, if we kind of unload, we're already catching hell, but that puts a black eye to the sport, but maybe it sets it back, you know, a little bit because everybody's not going to march around and sing free at last, free at last. Thank God Almighty, we're free at last. It's like, dang, this sport really sucks. Like when it comes to some of the things that countries and athletes have had to endure, you know, over the past, I mean, we're going to blink. It's going to be 2050. So, you know, hundred years or so. Yeah. I mean, I think, I, I think it is just a cycle. You have, you may have new people come in and you do have many new people coming into different spaces, whether that is media, whether that is, you know, organizational leadership, but they do, and they have like these, you know, really cool ideas to like change things or to push things forward um, and to get rid of, you know, some of the structures that were there in the past, but it does fall into the aspect of, you know, you know, maybe not have an opportunity to be as bold or maybe not have an opportunity to be able to speak up um, or also, you know, having this idea and thinking, oh, you know, this this will completely shift the sport. Maybe I don't want to, you know, change it that fast. And then you fall into like complacency of like, you know, maybe this is not too bad. We can, you know, have incremental change, et cetera, et cetera. Um, yeah, I mean, I mean, I don't know. It really does just follow kind of a cycle in a sense. It's really tough. And of course, we're talking about track and field, but this applies to so many different things, right? The progress, unfortunately, is very, very slow because of the structures that are in place that make it tough for things to change, but then also kind of suppress the opportunity for people who actually want to make change to, you know, push themselves forward and push their ideas forward. So, yeah. Yeah, I don't, I'm not saying it's unintentional. I just think that like, the, the sort of decisions that the people in charge are making are not necessarily ones that they view as being suppressive. But so the mentality, we, in a sense, like you're saying. Yeah, but I mean, we don't have, I mean, track and field is not an athlete-run sport. And that's yeah, a big yeah. problem. Yeah. The NBA, and I, I, I don't like to compare it to U.S. sports because it is international, but the athletes have such little say. They don't have a collective bargaining agreement, which is honestly kind of insane like yeah, as a modern era sport. So they don't have the same kind of say and benefit um, that other sports do. What would make that very difficult is that like, 
it is a global sport. So not everyone speaks the same language. How would athletes come to consensus? Also, who is their boss? Is it world athletics? Is it their sponsors, et cetera? Like there's a lot of problems, but I think at, at like the fundamental root, which I think your question touched on is that it's not athlete run. And I think that in our view, or at least in my view, makes the sport more difficult to change and evolve with the times. And I think that's why like we get frustrated with leadership because they do have their best interest in mind and it is intentional in maintaining their power. I just think that like it's patronizing, but I think that they, yeah. they probably think what that what they're doing is correct. And that mm -hmm. makes perfect sense the way you explain that. Um, and it's always good to be able to have these conversations. So this is part two of a question. And then I have a very serious topic that we have to discuss um, on the show. So part two of the question is, has your experiences, the things you've seen, the things that you have heard, the relationships that you've made and everything that we just talked about, has it changed the way that you hope to cover the sport? Not, not the way, because the thing is, if I asked you, do you think the sport needs to be changed when it comes to coverage? The answer is an overwhelming yes. Like that is just, it, it don't take a rocket scientist to see, you know, to see that, to listen to the cries of the athlete, to listen to how, you know, things go and, you know, maybe our part in not doing a better job of being creative in our coverage. And by our part, I'm not talking about the three of us. Um, but has your experience changed the way that you hope to cover the sport? I can, I can jump in first. I mean, like absolutely on, on two fronts where, first of all, just like even thinking of kind of going back to the idea of, um, you know, what Hannah just mentioned in terms of like how globalized the sport is and then, you know, covering Nigerian athletes, you know, we get into this silo here in the United States where it is, we're comparing to the NBA and the NFL and we're, you know, we're just thinking of the United States and how to change things for track and field here. But all these, all of our decisions and all of our, you know, everything we do really does affect the sport as a whole or can have an effect on the sport as a whole. And that does make me think about, okay, if people are having a conversation about, I don't know, like professional or yeah, professional athletes, like, you know, a high schooler competing with professional athletes or, you know, someone getting a contract, et cetera, et cetera. Right. Like, what does that mean for an athlete who's from Nigeria? And they're not, you know, like they don't have an NCAA. They don't have like, you know, that that same type of structure. So yeah, like what does it even mean for them? Right. Um, so like having conversations, not only with Nigerian athletes, but then also with American athletes on those different things that kind of changes my perspective. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, also on the, on the history side, just the idea of like, okay, what, what are some things that were done in the past and how does that affect, you know, things that are occurring now, um, both positive and negative, right. Um, that definitely changes how, you know, I, you know, I think about, you know, going into coverage of various different aspects in the sport. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, totally. I, I completely agree. You know, I, the, the thing that, frustrates me I mean it's it's tough right because yeah if we could overhaul the sport of course we'd all love to um and then but we mostly find ourselves trying to make a difference within the current structure that exists so I think um you know both some of the work that Anderson and I do is shifting the terms of what people have thought has been quote-unquote marketable like mm. forever I think that's at least what I see myself doing a little bit wow. so yeah, I used to teach this, uh, I taught this class last year called the Anthropology of Sport. And we are having this conversation about like, you know, it, when NIL started, like all the, the, the deals were overwhelmingly going to white athletes, right? 
And one of the students were was like, well, if they're marketable, then they're market, you know, if they're more marketable, then that's just like the market doing its like, you know, invisible hand thing. And I'm like, well, okay, aside from me disagreeing with that's how the market works, like if you don't market something, it can't be marketable, right? Yep. <laughs> so like if an Ethiopian athlete story has never been told, how can anyone find it interesting? So I think like I'm trying to, at least with some of the work that I'm doing, it's just like get these stories out there to see that they can be, you know, interesting that people want to read them. But if you don't put them in front of people's faces, they have nothing to read. Um, you know, like th that's at least how I see myself kind of like working within the constraints of like what I view this landscape to be. It's so crazy when you think about it from a general standpoint um, to both of your points. Like, for example, I didn't know what Whole Foods was until I went to a car dealership um to get it serviced and i was like what is this magical place and just for the record if you go to the hot bar it's not what you think it is so be very careful made that mistake but i looked at the quality of meat that they had and i was i remember telling my mom like none of this and i had them explain it to me i said none of this was available to me just you know where I grew up and you know just kind of how it was it was just what they thought that that area needed but it did not expose you to the general and I know this is a crazy comparison um you know comparing you know whole foods to you know what you're saying but you kind of bring a different dish to the table you know that no one else has tried and Hannah you made an excellent point and it you know brings this thought about the athletes running you know, the show. So Glenn Mills, Glenn Mills is the legendary coach from Jamaica. Um, Usain Bolt's coach. He said something interesting one day in an interview. He said that the sport missed the boat, missed out on really maximizing Usain's potential. And then last night I look at LeBron and when this is published, either the Lakers are going to be out of the playoffs or they're going to be on their way to winning the championship. But I look at like LeBron James and just all the attention that he garners and some of the athletes in, in the NBA, Giannis, the Greek freak, I'm not even going to try to mess up his name. And it's just like, now these players just have so much power, like Michael Jordan and stuff like that. And then you have somebody who is such, so dynamic, like a Usain Bolt and he's at the mercy of world athletics as well as his performance when it comes to maximizing the potential that he has because i'm like you got usain you got kipchoge you, you have sydney mclaughlin uh Leroni now you have all these incredible athletes and still they don't they have somewhat of a say outside of the sport but not as much in the sport so it's kind of a backwards way you know of dealing with it hannah to your point and anderson to your point as well all right so got this question then we're going to ask another question to wrap things up. So this, this one has been weighing heavy on me. So I have to um, ask the both of you. Anderson, you came on the show. And I was a little, like, interested in why you thought this. Um, You like Cartoon Network. I knew this was where this is going. <laughs> <laughs> And so I, I, and so Hannah and I are lifetime Nickelodeon fans. I'm trying to figure out 
the mentality behind Ed, Ed, and freaking Eddie, who to to logistical greatness as brother Tommy Pickles um, from the Rugrats. So I, I just wanted to just to get your thoughts behind this before we have our rebuttal. Hannah, I know you're not going to leave me hanging where this debate is concerned. I no, trust you. My my allegiance is strong. Yes, come on now. We pledge allegiance to Nick. <laughs> I listen. So I definitely said, I think I said that it was close, but I just felt like I'm yeah, I definitely feel like Cartoon Network resonated with me and I feel like it resonated with a lot of people so much with like I just feel like the variety that it was able to tap into where of course it had Cartoon Network, but then you also had, later on you had like, um, what was it, Toonami, and you had like Adult Swim, and then you also had um, the older like shows, like, you know, um, Tom and Jerry was coming on there and stuff like that, like the older, older shows and stuff like that. Like, listen, Cartoon Network was an era. And yes, you can you can enjoy Tommy Pickles, you can enjoy Rugrats, you can enjoy all of that, but like, I wasn't a baby. Like I, I want to resonate. I want to resonate with like Ed, 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 and Eddie. I'm, I'm like, I was a kid on the street. I don't know. Like, <laughs> Rick, are you gonna re- resonate with Ed, Ed, Ed? You know how stupid them kids were, <laughs> like in the show. I was, was I it? was like a stupid young kid. I don't know, but <laughs> it's Ed close Ed. though. It's all close. It's all close. <laughs> Hannah, would you like to talk? I, I, yeah, I don't want to. Like, there's just. I don't I th- I don't think I watched that much Cartoon Network like I, the I was kind of the opposite for me I just I don't remember like I remember like every now and then because for me I distinctly remember Nickelodeon was 33 where I grew up yeah yep, Cartoon so- Network was 32 <laughs> and so I would flip back and forth um I did get into some of the adult swim shows at some point but like I remember like watching Dexter's Lab or something like along those lines or like Powderpuff yep. Girls. Powderpuff yep. Girls pissed me off because I was like, I, I could tell that they were pandering to me. I was like, stop, I'm fine. Like, you know, I, I even as a child, I was like, I know I'm a girl, like I'm supposed to like this, but I don't like, I'm not, I'm not, it's not resonating. Dexter's Lab, I just, I don't know. Etta and Eddie, I just, I just, I just can't get into it. So I, I don't like disrespect your choice. It surprised me just because everything else that you said throughout your podcast and from our time, like hanging out and talking, I'm like, same, same. We got same flavor profile. We both like cheddar popcorn, same music taste. And then it just threw me for a loop. So um, I respect it, but I'm I'm holding strong. It, there's no nostalgia there for me. I think that's the... That's Anna, the when Anderson told me that he liked Cartoon Network after I'm like, that's my brother. That's my soul brother. We like the roots, Black Thought, De La Soul, a tribe called Twist. <laughs> baby's gotta do what a baby's gotta do. I almost went back to church. I was that just just like Anderson. Come on, man. Like, like here's the thing. I feel like as a culture, Nickelodeon did more than Cartoon Network. I know those are controversial, that's a controversial take, but from a cultural perspective, it was relatable because them were the stupidest three brothers I've ever seen in my entire life. <laughs> and, and I'm just sitting there watching like, what are you guys doing? What's the one that had the, the stick? He had the stick as a pet and it had like the hood over it. You know, it what I'm might, talking? it might've been, um, 
I forget. Another show, right? Is that No, it was Ed, Ed and Eddie. it was on one Ed of Eddie? the I forget then. Forget. It was the I don't one know that which sucked one. his thumb. He sucked his thumb. That might have been Eddie, I think. Okay, Or Eddie, one Eddie. I'm I'm forgetting. It's been some a while. But all I know is I don't know. You don't watch I think it every night. Um. I'll, I'll I'll say to be fair, like Courage the Cowardly Dog like really had an influence on my life. In, in terms of just like relatability and like as wild as like that show is. Um, so that definitely like makes it makes me a little bit biased. So I I will I don't give know. you that show. I will give you that show. That show and Tom and Jerry, I will give you that show. Because courage, everybody has a grandmother. Everybody has a grandmother that sits in a chair. I'm telling you, her collard greens was probably fire. Um, so I understand like that aspect but everything else i was like anderson i can't like dexter dexter's lab i watched that and i was just so confused like that that's the biggest difference because i watched cartoon network and i had more questions i watched nickelodeon and i felt inspired to do something um like i felt like i could accomplish something i even tried a few things i got in trouble for it but you know uh, i don't know it just gave me courage and it gave me hope that like I don't know, Chucky Spinster was my spirit animal. Um, like, I, I I don't know. That's, yeah, that's actually me. a good question. Did you have, like, a character on Cartoon Network that, res that you, like, specifically, Anderson, that you, like... That yeah. I mean, it was it was really Courage. The thing about Courage was that, like... Okay. Yeah, he was... It was... He was a very, like... He was very, like, scared of everything and, like, tried to be, like, out of the fray and, like, kind of quiet and stuff like that. But, like he had to like get things done just to like save his grandparents at the end of the day. So like that, again, that resonated with me. Like I'm like quiet. I like to like not get into deal with things, but like when I need to get something done, I'll get it done at the end of the day. But so yeah, that was like my character. But again, listen, I love, I love Nickelodeon. Like it's nothing, <laughs> there's no, there's no, no hate. <laughs> and it's all love here. It's all love. I don't hate Cartoon Network by chance. And Hannah, that was a great question. Um, because it's like courage for you is like low key Chucky for me. Like I kind well, of I guess I'm thinking about like how you would sort of study this phenomenon. Like if you were gonna ask like people who grew up in this era, like try and map some kind of some kind of thing. But but maybe it just has to do with like the character, at least from those those conversations that you really felt like spoke to you at that age. Like that's gonna do a number on your allegiance for nostalgia. So well, I respect let me... that answer. Let me ask you both this, because I was thinking about this, and I'll be honest with you, Hannah was just on the Hey Arnold uh, podcast. I forgot what it, what is it, Stoop Kids, Afraid to Leave a Stoop podcast or something like that? <laughs> it's called Stoop Kids, yeah. Oh, I'm just thinking of the whole episode, Stoop Kids, Afraid to Leave a Stoop. Yeah, it's the um, slogan. I was thinking about that. So what is a character that you look back on that you did not originally think that you vibe with or could compare yourself to that now that you're older and now that you've experienced life or we're experiencing life um that you're like dang i kind of relate because we're all just about the same age plus or minus a few hours essentially um so it's like for me and i'll go first for me interestingly enough it was gerald from hey arnold not from his traditional household of having a mother, father, and older brother, but Gerald was the one dude that was different because of the structure of the show. 
Like he was that one black dude. And that's the thing that I love about Hey Arnold. Hey Arnold was the characters and even me. I don't know if it's a Nickelodeon thing because Doug was like that. Um, the Rugrats were like that. But like there was such di- a diverse group and it wasn't not it wasn't just diverse from the standpoint of one was black, one was white. Like Stinky Peterson grew up on a farm and stuff like that. And he had this gigantic nose. Um, and so like little things like that are like relatable. But Gerald, the more I watch it, I was like, and Hannah, I think I may have told you that on the first show. Like I low-key see myself as Gerald because he's a bit of a misfit, still trying to find his way, but still his natural energy is something, you know, that you hope would draw people. So I'm curious who is that character for the both of you on any network? Hmm. Well, yeah, any network. I mean, I think, well, first of all, I think I said that you reminded me of Gerald too, not because of, I mean, because of all that, but also because of like the lore and sort of like, you know, he's like a good storyteller and like the keeper of like the tale. Um, and now that this I, fro is coming about, then that like makes more sense. I, I think Hey Arnold is a show really resonated for me because like it was a lot like where I grew up in California. It was super diverse, and yeah, I mean, there's a range of like, uh, you know, backgrounds like ethnic, racial, etc. But there was also a range of like class backgrounds, and then I kind of where I ended up moving was was a lot more homogenous. But for me, like looking back when I watched the show, I think. Um, Helga is the one that um, I resonate with not because of how I am now like I'm a pretty even killed person but her internal angst and confusion is something that like I mean every every sort of one everyone kind of goes with in adolescence but I definitely like got bullied for a period of time and like didn't have a lot of friends and was like struggling with my identity when I was a like a little kid and I think like even though I didn't want to be her then, I sort of really respect the character as she is now. And like not being able to express yourself and then your expression just comes out as anger. I think like that experience of whether it's anger or submission or something else, there, there's something about that character that they developed that was like very rich. Wow. Um, that was, ooh, that was, ooh, that was deep. I love that. <laughs> Yeah, I love that. I'm I'm actually going to stick with the Hey Arnold because yeah, Hey Arnold's really did resonate, and I I've watched a lot of Hey Arnold's uh, episodes like even as an adult. Um, but like similarly, I mean, I don't even know if like yeah, Gerald. I definitely like I felt it's interesting. I feel like I wanted to connect with Gerald when I was younger, but now looking back, like I couldn't. I definitely couldn't because I feel like Gerald was like super smooth and like so cool and like you know like so many so many other kids loved him and stuff like that like and that was just not me um to a degree i mean it it may be extreme but like um eugene on the show right he was like kind of he was like super kind of awkward and nerdy ish and i hope i'm remembering correctly but like a lot of kids just didn't he wasn't as cool and stuff like that um and there's degrees of that that i think you know growing up that i definitely resonated with where yeah, like I wasn't, I wasn't like the cool, cool kid, but I wanted to be able to, you know, um, be cool with with a lot of the other people around. I had my my own, you know, really close friends and stuff like that. But there was an aspect of like, you know, I was way more, you know, way more awkward, and I wanted to be like a Gerald in a sense. 
Um, so yeah, that kind of resonates. Cheryl definitely would have listened to like Tribe and the Roots of Dale. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> can exactly. I can I kick it? I love that. Man. But you see, Anderson, you definitely have a Gerald vibe now. Like, I don't know. Like, I felt like Eugene too. Um, sometimes I felt like Phoebe. Um, well, that's the beauty of the show, right? Like, you feel all those. You feel like all those characters all the time. Like, I mean, it's... like they—they're they're really tapping. They're—they're they're like archetypes, but they're also just like elements of like how you feel as a kid, which is oftentimes like you're trying on an archetype. It's like no yeah. one really. You don't know who you are, so you're constantly like, you know. I feel like I showed up to school for like a week wearing a hat, and I was like, I'm a hat. I'm a hat person now. You know, like you're you're constantly like trying on new, whether it's like physical or emotional identities, because you're trying to like figure out how like emotions work. And yeah, um, that's sort of what why I think the show works so well because it goes into all their backstories, so they're all humanized. But you all, like, we all felt like Eugene so much of the time. I mean, maybe not everyone, if, like, you really did feel cool. And if you did, then you're a sociopath and you're Wolfgang. But other than that, like, oh, you know. Oh, I didn't even think no. about Wolfgang. Yes. Well, it's just, like, other than that, you're 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 identifying with all these characters. Or you felt like Sid, because you're like, God, I just was so annoying. Why was I so annoying just there, you know, or whoever it is. This speaks. So, y'all, if you Here's the thing. You can either go to therapy or just watch AR. Exactly. Um, yes. <laughs> right, right. And the latter is cheaper, no matter what. Yeah. <laughs> yes, because here's the thing. I have, all right, stupid story. I have, like, a bunch. I think I have it up in my one of my closets. I have, like, all the Hey Arnold, like, seasons on uh, VHS. I don't even have a VHS player anymore. Um, but that just, I don't know. That and the Rugrats and the constant... They those characters develop better than some movies did. Like mm-hmm. it is just crazy because you saw Helga. You even saw Helga's sister Olga. Like she low key had a character development. Um, you saw, I don't know, even like the pig had a character development because when it ta- Abner or whatever his name was, because it talked about his relevance. Uh, I will say this before we switch to our last topic and get on up out of here. Um. That was one of the saddest, like, Christmas episodes or Thanksgiving episodes of when Hey Arnold with Mr. Wynn, like, they were able to reunite him with his long-lost daughter. Um, I still think about that. That show, that episode's amazing, too, because Mr. Wynn is is also, like, distinctly Vietnamese. Like, he he was kind of, I mean, first of all, like, Asian representation totally, like, blew anything out of the water. But also, there was, like, I mean, they're, like, talking about the vietnam like war basically yeah. in that episode and like to i mean to broach a topic like that at least as i remember it is like pretty looking back i'm like damn it was am- yeah. it was amazing that one and just how they were like you got the working class what was the butcher's name um oh um mr green mr green brother mr. Green. green and then what was the fat one the the chubby one that had the missing hair at the top that arnie the, the bulldozer arnie. guy on it, yes. Demolition man. Demolition man. <laughs> because you you def you touch on like each like part of life essentially. You have a business owner or you know somebody that's a renter, you know, with with uh ramps, um, somebody who doesn't have all their marbles, but is still maybe kind of looking to recapture youth with grandma, essentially, or she's just like one of those like the lady who just ran the masters 
in the hundred that's just like has this peak athleticism. I bet you grandma could throw down in a master's track meet. She'd be oh breaking records for sure. Hilly. Yeah. <laughs> oh, for sure. Cause yeah. she was doing like jujitsu and all this stuff like that and yeah. like all of this crazy <laughs> stuff. And then you have Arnold who's just trying to figure out how the world you know kind of operates so yeah it represents so many cultures it represents like everything that episode and then the rugrats had an episode um kind of talking about uh pharaoh well it was yeah pharaoh it was their um hanukkah episode uh when tommy you know mm -hmm. told angelica to let my babies go when she was pharaoh and, and he's like the dude with the diaper i'm <laughs> trying to march on and everything like that <laughs> i was like they did a much better job then than we have done now when it comes to actually sharing and representing culture in such a not I'm, i don't want to even say culturally appropriate way but just the accuracy of it mm -hmm. um yeah. and making it seem natural it's not like this forcible you know ordeal um so yes that uh hey arnold this is i don't know hannah man you see that was the, that's the hard part because you gassed me up on hey arnold so much <laughs> that it's like i don't i don't want to say that i like it more than the rugrats because i love that dog on show like the rugrats and stuff but I'm all those shows hey i know you've been on that podcast <laughs> they need to call it the boat oh god what if you made your own like hey arnold podcast yeah no I'm not, i can't make i can't make a podcast i don't have those skills but i'll talk about harold till you know the cows come home okay well let's just bring this on home on this global running day wild thornberries is a good one too that definitely has some cultural influence when it comes to them going to the african nations but debbie is this misfit um all of them are misfits essentially and then like i always thought like nigel like he he was too calm he was too cool um, but anyway, that's another show. Global Running Day. And so we talked about your experiences and all of this stuff. And not all of this stuff, but we talked about your experiences and we kind of broke things down into a deeper level. The two questions that I have for you. What, well, it's one question, then we're going to get to rapid fire. What does Global Day, Global Running Day mean to the both of you? Um. I could I could go. Um, I really kind of going back to what I was noting before. I think, <clears throat> excuse me, Global Running Day just makes me think of of access, access to running, access to the opportunity to you know participate in running. Um, you know, again, it, it's easy for many people to to think of running as like you know the easiest kind of quote unquote sport or whatever activity to kind of just jump into, but again, thinking globally, where you have so many people who just don't have the opportunity to be able to <clears throat> not even just get shoes, but be able to get out and run because of whatever conditions of where they're actually living in. So, you know, thinking of access, thinking of trying to provide more access to people um, and to, to young people specifically to give them the opportunity to be able to run, to be able to engage in athletic opportunities. And that connects with all these different aspects in terms of you know, all, the, all these different things. I mean, I don't know. I could get into like, you know, housing and, you know, food and water and like all these, like, all these aspects that relate to just like, you know, providing someone with the stability to, you know, be able to, you know, live really, and then eventually be able to get athletic opportunities. So yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah totally. Um, I agree with that. And just, I guess to add on, like, 
at the elite level, because Anderson kind of touched upon just like general access, like, you know, one thing I, th- I wish we had a bit more of a dialogue on was like, even the fact that these elite athletes from around the world, they have to travel so far for yes. every competition to make money. And that doesn't number on the body. And they're aware of that. Like, I remember, uh, you know, I'm not saying things are great here, but at least American runners, like track and field athletes, like they have opportunities to compete here. Um, it's really hard to, to make any money like running in Ethiopia. Um, and when, when athletes like, I know that sometimes the travel is tough and I'm never going to like fault an athlete for not traveling, but African athletes have to leave the continent pretty much. I mean, now they're having like a couple meets, which is really cool. And like Kenya and Botswana, which is, which is great. Um, but that's very new. So I think just generally like thinking about access at every single level of sport is super important and, you know, just general opportunities. Like, yeah, I don't want to get into it also, but there are so many Ethiopian athletes who are so good and are making so much less money than American athletes who are not nearly as good. And that's okay. Like, I don't want to fault the, in the sense, I don't want to fault the American athletes for that. It's not, but like, it's, it's important to kind of recognize like the depth of talents um, that are, that are in these places and how many people don't ever get a chance to like showcase it in a big way. It's the system. It is the system, but y'all have to take, yeah, I see you. Shout out. <laughs> um, you guys have survived the interrogation process. Now we are on to our last segment called down to home stretch. You know how it works. So do I need to explain what we're doing or do you got, you have it? I think I remember. I think we're good. Yeah. Okay. So we need to explain it. I'm going to ask you a few <laughs> rapid fire questions. I want you to answer them to the best of your ability. If you don't answer them in an appropriate time, please believe me. I don't care. I done forgot who's winning and all that other stuff. So pretty much we're just, we're just having fun here. Are you guys ready? Yeah. All right. So I have to mix these up since I had you both on the show. What is a nineties hip hop song that has had a lasting impression on you all? Man, I don't know. I mean, for first in my head is um, "It Ain't Hard to Tell" by Nas from Illmatic. That that song is just like just a beautiful, a beautiful song. Obviously, Nas is like rapping so beautifully, and like you know, it samples Michael Jackson. Um, I don't know that that song. It ain't hard to tell by Nas. <laughs> Ah, uh, this is hard. I'm trying to remember the name. I feel like that whole De La Soul album, I think it was Three Feet High and Rising. Okay, I was going to say. That was like this. my jam for a while. <laughs> I was going to be devastated if you said the song I'm going to say. Uh, but that was a really awesome album. What's yours? Stakes is High. Okay. When we talk about the vibe, I need y'all to say vibration. Stakes is High. All right, speaking of stakes being high, Dream vacation spot for the both of you. Mm. Dream vacation. Um, my dream vacation spot is probably, is honestly probably Ghana. I've been to Nigeria so many times and what's well, actually crazy, I've been to Nigeria so many times, I've never actually been anywhere else on the continent. Um, and I really, really want to go to Ghana. I have so many friends there. So yeah, I don't know. Ghana is like a dream. I really want to go to Japan, and I, one of my best friends lives in Tokyo now. She got a job there a couple of years ago, so like I'm, I'm dying to go. I want to travel like the whole country. 
Okay. If you could live a day in any television set from the 90s, one could be from Cartoon Network, one could be from Nickelodeon, where are you going? I'll answer. I think I'm going to uh, wherever Rocket Power is. Venice Beach. Venice, that's Venice Beach? Okay, yeah, I'm going to Venice. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I didn't know where that was. I, I had no idea. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going to take my talents to Venice Beach. And honestly, because I just, I, I don't know, I just want to eat because the food looks dope there. Yeah, like you get tacos in LA. Yeah. I mean, just to mix it up, I feel like, I, I don't know, I don't actually remember this show, but like, isn't the Jetsons in outer space or something? something the Jetsons, oh, that is OG, <laughs> Just like, if I'm like, gonna go somewhere cool, like, might as well <laughs> go all out. Oh, man, got me saying Venice Beach, I changed it. Maybe I wanna live, <laughs> live in a pineapple under the sea. I mean, That'd be cool. At, at that pace, I mean, I'm I'm going to the Flintstones then. I mean, they were I just like, that too. <laughs> like, they were just like literally living in the Stone Age, and like it seems super fun. I don't know. <laughs> okay. No cars. Gotta use I'm, your feet. That's true. <laughs> I kind of want to change uh, my answer. No, you're not allowed. That's against the rules of your podcast. <laughs> yeah. So just y'all pretend like I didn't say what I said. I want to live in Sandy Cheeks' house, that little mansion that she has. Just like it's closed off from everybody. Nobody's just popping in. You have to twist that thing and everything. I think that would be really dope. I think that she was awesome. safe during COVID. Yeah, yeah, she was safe. She didn't have to come out of her tree. She had all the acorns and everything like that. Um, so we we marked her safe. She's good. She's safe and secure. All righty. Any, what would be your dream concert? I I can go. I've never I've never seen the Roots in concert in live concert, and I'm obsessed with the Roots. I've seen Black Thought individually, but I really want to see the Roots in concert at some point. So. That yeah. was my answer. That was my answer too. <laughs> what about you, Hannah? Uh, that's a tough one. I mean, the roots would definitely be awesome. I mean, I think it would be cool to see like Prince or something. Dang it! Like, oh, look at that <laughs> like someone that's just like a total performer, yeah. um, across the board. Like, yeah, that would be okay. pretty sweet. Naturally, my next question is Michael Jackson or Prince. You have my answer. <laughs> I'm, I might have said this last time, but I definitely am like with Michael Jackson only because like he just, I don't know, he just had more influence on my life. I don't know. Yeah. You know, I have been rocking with Prince for a long time. I may have to cross that river to Jordan of Michael Jordan or Michael, Michael Jordan, uh, Michael Jackson, because that's eh, true. It's a tie. I'll, I'll just go see him. I, I can't do that. All right, I just I'll, have a. Go ahead. <laughs> Sorry, I was I was gonna say I'll say that Prince definitely has like impacted me more in my later life. I feel like Michael Jackson was more like I don't know impactful as I was younger, but I don't know. Prince was a whole vibe. Like if Prince was a shoe, he would definitely be like an endorphin speed, like something like that. That just because he just did things that were just like so like nobody could replicate prince like prince was his own like person all right last few questions 
What is an overrated trend that you, or a trend that is in right now that you would like to get rid of? I feel like I'm super in touch with this because I teach like Gen Z, um, like 19 and 20 year olds who think that they are like inventing like baggy jeans. And um, it's wild to see it come back in the way that it is, like some of these trends. Um, but like, I've been seeing these amazing memes that show these enormous jeans getting like soaking wet in the rain. And I just remember that so hard. And so like that whole era of just, Oh yeah. boy. So for that reason, for practicality's sake, I'm like, y'all don't know what's coming when you like step in a puddle and your jeans are gonna be mad wet all day. <laughs> <laughs> There's nothing worse than that. All right. I mean, this is harder for me because I'm not like on trends now. Um, I definitely like what, five or four-ish years ago when I was teaching, I definitely would have said like, get rid of Snapchat or something like that. But I mean, now there's like TikTok, so I don't, I don't know. Um, I, I don't know what, I really don't know what trends are popular now, to be honest. Chat GPT, I think that. <laughs> there you go. That's so, that's so true. Mainly because right. I'm just so sick of hearing people talk about it. I don't even care about what it does. Oh gosh. <laughs> I'm so with that. I'm so with that. All right. Two more questions. And actually, now that I'm thinking of this question, this is going to be a tough question. So we're going to transition from Di uh, Nickelodeon to Disney. What was the best Disney Channel original movie that you've seen? Hmm. And I'm sorry I have to ask this because I'm, I'm sitting here thinking, I'm like, this is tough. It's so well okay. i didn't like have disney channel for most of growing up okay that's fine. so i feel like and i used to watch it at friends houses so for me it's more like honestly what i can remember than that's totally fine too the best one so i was a basketball player so i i remember that one like double teams where there was like the two girls that played basketball but yeah. i have no idea what actually happened in the movie i yeah that was that was a really good movie um, there's this movie and I don't remember the name, but it was about this kid. They were at a Jewish school or whatever. And then they had like the black hair coach to help them, um, like be a good basketball team because he like played in NBA, but he was living in this like Winnebago or something like that. Um, and he like learned just the different Jewish cultures from the rabbi and stuff like that. And they like became this like dope, they won like two games, but they like became this really dope team. I don't know, that like resonates with me. Uh, I've loved that movie so much. And then Double Team was like a legit one because they were just like these six foot eight girls just blocking everything that came into the paint. Uh, what about you, Anderson? Oh man, I don't know, this is hard because I, I don't, I didn't watch Disney Channel that much at all. I, I feel like I might not have had it either. Um, so I, I honestly don't even remember. <laughs> I honestly don't even remember. <laughs> I watched like three shows on, or four shows on Disney. I watched The Proud Family. Um, I watched Even Stevens, like Lizzie McGuire, and then that's it. So that's fine, that's fair. All right, last question. On this global running day, how has running been kind to the both of you? Well, right now I have a stress fracture. I haven't run in a couple months, so it hasn't okay. been super kind. But generally speaking, I mean, I guess it's made me reflect on 
how much I like doing it as an activity. But um, I think like in the context of Global Running Day, it's taken me all over the world and like put me and given me relationships, especially with people in Ethiopia that I mean, now I've had for like 10 years and, you know, I'm like sending money to like my friends who's having like a third baby and like bringing baby gifts. Like I never thought that the first time I went to Ethiopia to like hang out with runners, I'd be developing these like super long lasting relationships. So, and then also like meeting y'all and like other folks in the media space like that. I don't know, like I probably never would have met y'all just just meeting like so many cool people um along the way so um and athletes too yeah i'm just like grateful for all the relationships i've built through the sport yeah i'm literally gonna mirror exactly what hannah said i i haven't run in a couple months um i'll get back into it at some point um but yeah i mean the relationships i i couldn't even fathom again like my my parents are nigerian i've been going to nigeria for like for who knows how long since I was a kid, but like now the fact that like I'm actually, you know, developing relationships with people in Nigeria who are working in the running space, um, I just, again, I, I couldn't even fathom that would be a thing. Um, and yeah, just like all the different relationships, even if it's just like the local running community, it's like, um, at least here in New York City, it's like, yo, I can go outside every day, every Monday, just to like go out and run, you know, with people, develop relationships, you know, with people just from, you know, just from running that that is that is insane. You know, could never imagine growing up. So, yeah. I appreciate you both your survive down the home stretch. What beautiful tributes to Global Running Day. Obviously, I love running. I'm in hibernation mode right now because when the heat is on, that means I don't run, which kind of makes sense why I don't run like 12 months out of here because it's always hot down here. Um, but when it gets cold, you best believe I'm going for that 5K. Uh, but I appreciate you both. Thank you for your perspective. Thank you for what you do in the sport, helping develop the sport and continue to push it to greater hikes. I will have their information on social media. We're going to give Anderson his honorary PhD. And Hannah Borenstein is a freaking doctor. Dr. Steen, the first, the last, the greatest. Anderson doing big things. Appreciate you both. We're going to catch you next time. Wow.